Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Kate Campbell, three-time Olympian, two times gold medalist at that level and all-round just super chick. So excited to have you on the Friday Focus. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Now, I saw earlier this week you had your first shot of the vaccine. How's that gone down? Yeah, so we were very, very lucky to have access to the vaccine and got my jab on Monday. I'm happy to report no side effects apart from maybe a little bit of a sore arm, something like you'd expect from a flu jab. So that's one down, one to go. We're hopefully getting the next one uh, in June before we head overseas. So it's just an extra line of defence and it's like a bit of a relief and a weight weight off my shoulders. Yeah, well, you you saw that you guys were going to be able to be fast-tracked if you like, and I know you're not pushing anyone else out of the queue. These are paid for by the Olympic Committee and they're extra uh, vaccine doses, aren't they? But you you were really keen to, to get on the front foot with this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is so much uncertainty around these games. Like, no one knows what situation we are going to be walking into. And I think that the thing that lots of people have really struggled with with COVID is that we're having to be really reactive. You know, we're having to react to what the virus throws at us. And what the vaccine does is it allows us to get on the front foot, so to speak. It allows us to be a little bit more proactive. And so to have that extra line of defence is really great. And like you said, uh, I do really want to stress because I I know I have seen some backlash about spoiled athletes jumping the queue. That is not the case at all. Uh, We've kind of set up a a separate queue uh, and working from home isn't an option for us. Uh, The Olympics are on and so athletes are going to go, you know, this is our livelihoods at stake. Uh, We are not jumping the queue. We, by getting the vaccine, we are protecting ourselves. We're protecting the Japanese people, but we're also protecting Australians because we are flying over and then we're returning to Australia. And the biggest risk to COVID spreading in the community in Australia is return travellers. And so by us getting the vaccine, it's actually a win for everyone. And I'm so grateful that the AOC managed to organise it. And yeah, it's a big relief to be yeah. heading over with that extra line of defence. Yeah, for sure. And you're right. The, the critics are probably people that have in other years really enjoy the Olympics and the big moments and sit back and watch that entertainment that they get given. And, and the other thing, as pro- people of profile, I've noticed more and more are being asked to promote the, the positive effect of the vaccine and try to get out there and actively encourage people to do it. So if the Olympic team of the highest profile currently in sport, probably in Australia, if they're promoting it, it's got to be a, a good message. But but, uh, but on the, the Olympics and, and the situation over there, do you, do you have any concern? I guess we were talking before we uh, were off air about 
India and the IPL and the dramas there. Is there any concern for you? Look, there's a risk in everything in life. And I guess that we all have to weigh up the risk versus reward. And I think that for athletes to be able to go over and compete um, as Olympic athletes, we really only get a moment in the sun once every four years. And for a lot of us, our livelihoods depend on us going to an Olympics and performing there. It kind of sets us up for the next four years of training if we do wanna be professional athletes. Uh, on top of that, it's dreams that we've all had since we were children. It's always an honor to represent our country. Are there risks? Absolutely, undoubtedly, but there are so many people working incredibly hard to make these games as safe as possible. And I think at some point, the world is going to have to start getting back to a little bit of normality. You know, it, it, it has to, because the way that we're living at the moment is unsustainable. And so if something as big and as complex as the Olympics can go ahead with minimal risk not no risk but minimal risk it might signal to the rest of us that hey we can start looking to the future we can start making plans we can start getting back to the life that we all used to enjoy so I think that it's really important for the Olympics to happen on many levels yeah. and I think that you'll find that most Olympic athletes are going to be ready to put up their hand and take that risk um, and who knows how big or how small it is, but yeah. uh, there are enough people making sure that we're going to be as safe as possible. Yeah, oh, indeed. And I think the preparations in Tokyo seem like they're, they're doing all they can, even though they've um, had a little bit of a rise in cases. But they're certainly, we're three months, aren't we? About 10 weeks away from uh, from that uh, amazing experience kicking off. I don't, don't know if I'm just cynical or when I was just thinking about chatting to you around the, the COVID risk and so on and, and the vaccine, is there any potential for the nasty-minded athletes to do something sinister through this process, given there's new vaccines and there's different vaccines coming from different parts of the world? Or, flip it around, an innocent athlete uh, being drawn into a controversy purely out of their control around doping and potential violations of doping. Has that been thought of or addressed uh, at any stage? I think that it's probably at a higher risk in countries like outside Australia. Um, and I can't comment on specifics because I, I, I don't know the specifics, the specifics of their anti-doping situation. Um, but within Australia, we have kept up our anti-doping protocols right through COVID. You know, we yep. would have uh, not during the, the eight week lockdown period uh, that the whole of Australia went into in March of 2020. But after that, we continued to be tested on a very regular basis. You'd have the, yeah. the drug testers knock on your door. So from an Australian perspective, not a lot changed in, in that respect. I think that I, like every athlete who has received their jab, will be declaring it on my form. Yeah. Uh, we, we get to declare any medications that we're taking and I will be sure to put down that I have taken <laughs> the COVID vaccine. Um, but, you know, we people get up in arms about vaccines. When I went to Rio in 2016, 
think I must have had to have about like six different injections to get over yeah, there. You sure. have to have like dengue fever and yellow fever and um, boosters to your tetanus and hepatitis. And, you know, so having injections and vaccines to be able to go somewhere internationally and to be able to return safely to Australia isn't a new concept. Sure. It's just this is a new vaccine. Yeah. And so I think that maybe everyone's a little bit on edge. Yeah, it's a really good point that you make there. And uh, as you say, there's risk with everything and uh, it's a risk that, that the world probably is keen to be taken to, to see the uh, Olympics unfold. Now, typically, would you, in your previous three Olympics experience, uh, try to embrace, I guess once competition's over for you, try to embrace the rest of the Olympics because it's it's challenging, isn't it? Do you, you can only arrive, or you tell me, is it five days prior to your event and have to leave within two days? Yeah, so it these games will be a little bit different uh, in terms of how long you can stay in the village, um, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the best things about going to an Olympics is being a part of the Australian Olympic team. So you kind of shed your own sporting banner and you fall under the greater Olympic team and you become a part of that spirit and that history. And it's something that is so exciting. However, these Olympics, yes, we uh, can only arrive in the village village five days before we are due to start competing. As soon as we have finished competing, we have 24 to 48 hours to be put on a plane and sent back to Australia into hotel quarantine. So typically swimming is in the first week of the Olympic Games. And uh, so we compete for the first eight days and there's still sort of another six or seven days of competition Mm. left. And so we can go out and celebrate with other athletes. We can go and watch other sporting events. We can hang out in the team HQ area, which has, you know, board games to play and um, a real chance for all sports to interact and intermingle Mm. and for you to feel like you're a a bigger part of of something bigger than your own sport. So uh, it it is going to be a little bit sad to be hoiked out of the village really uh, soon afterwards. Of course, no closing ceremony as well. Um, what about opening swimmers typically don't go to the opening ceremony yeah, because it... we tend to race the next day, but yeah, all those really like momentous occasions that kind of really differentiate an Olympics from any other competition, uh, is going to have to be done very differently this year. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's a, on return to Australia. That's where it must have an Olympic headquarters set up where you guys can all go and congregate and, and share the experience. I think it'd be thoroughly deserved. So in preparation for these games, motivation wise, I thought after 2016 and, and everything that happened there and then post that and, and you um, working your way through it and then regaining the motivation to, right, I'm going to go to Tokyo 2020 and then, COVID hits. Was was that motivation really tested last year when, when the postponement came about? Yeah, I think that in preparation for this Olympics, more than any other Olympics before, I had stacked my preparation to be at my absolute best in 2020, mm-hmm. you know, on the 24th of July, 2020, that once every four years. Uh, we have meets and competitions every year. So we have either a world championships or a Commonwealth games every year. Uh, And so we've got kind of little touch points to hit. 
And in prior uh, Olympic preparations, I had kind of really focused on being at my absolute best every year in the lead into an Olympics. And this time around, I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm going around for my fourth time. I've been doing this a long time. Swimming is a very training heavy sport. Um, there are no shortcuts. So let's kind of ease into this Olympics. And really, by the time 2020 comes along, you want to be going at an absolute 100%. And we want to make it that this is going to be your best. Sure. Um, and then it was Monday, the 23rd of March, 2020, <laughs> when we got the call. Uh, like, I can still like clearly remember where I was uh, when I looked down at my phone and, and saw a message to say that the Olympics weren't happening. And who was that message it was from? Almost like you, you know, when you're really busy yeah. and and you've got a lot on and like you're kind of stressed. And then as soon as it stops, you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. And as soon as I looked at that message, I was like, I'm so tired. And now I have to wait and do all of this again in 12 months' time. <laughs> oh my God. What and did what did you do? Like, did you did you cry? Did you sit back and just I mean, who was the message from? So it was it was um, from from one of the other swimmers who had spoken to um, a one of the members of uh, Swimming Australia, um, our director of high performance. He'd said, "Oh, I just got off the phone, and this is what's happening." And I was like, "No, surely not." And then everyone got got sent a message, like within sort of 10, 15 minutes of that. So um, called my coach, called Bronte. We all just kind of like sat down and we're just like, "Well." What now? And of course, that was actually the day that it was announced that Australia was going into the eight-week lockdown mm. as well. <laughs> so we were then like, oh, uh, you are going to not have access to any training facilities mm. for at least two months. We yeah. don't know if it's going to be longer. Um, you're going to have to be isolating. So you can't be training in squads or have access to any of your support network. And we just kind of sat down and we're like, well, Let's just see how this goes. We're just going to have to play this by ear. Everyone decide what needs to happen. And I made the decision. Um, I was living in Sydney at the time. I made the decision that I needed to get back to Queensland um, and, and stay in a house which, which had some, some friends in it rather than stay in a one-bedroom apartment by myself mm. in Sydney where I didn't know anyone. Um, so I, I literally the next morning got up packed some stuff in a car and had to drive across the Queensland border before it closed. Yeah. So like our lives just changed. Um, and it was like only after I arrived that the enormity of it kind of settled on you and I could kind of cry and get angry and, and go through all of those emotions yeah. that you go through after you've had a really big shock. But initially there was like so much was changing so quickly and so many decisions had to be made uh, in a really timely fashion that I didn't have time to catch my breath. Yeah, yeah, it, it it seems like a lifetime ago now, doesn't it? But uh, oh, doesn't the it? world truly did change. Um, and as I mentioned, that that at that point it had been four years for you to have another crack at something that you probably feel like you missed out on. I don't care to go back and get you to talk through the 2016 race experience, but I, I mentioned to you off air that you provided me with, I think, one of the greatest podcasts of which there's many out there but on the Howie games our mate Howie it's just the best moment in a podcast where I heard you and and the many tens of thousands that listen to his podcast would have your experience about that 
that event and the aftermath and how you felt in seeing your coach, Simon, and just the quotes in it are extraordinary. And I don't get a pleasure out of seeing people broken down in tears, but it was just beautiful. And I love the purity of it, how raw and real it was and almost therapeutic it felt like. They blew the whistle and I had to get out of the pool. And I went and I did my post-race interview and I, I don't remember much about it. Then I walked through the mix zone and talked to the press journos. And then I made the long walk back down to the warm down pool and I could, I could see my coach standing um, at the end of that pool. And sport is really interesting because when you do well, everyone knows what to do. But when you don't do well, people don't know what to do. And it was a long, lonely walk. And the first words I said to my coach, first words I said to Simon was, I'm so sorry. This isn't what I wanted for us. And he said, it's okay. And he just gave me a hug. And we didn't talk about the race. We didn't debrief. We didn't, he didn't say, this is what you did wrong. He just said, do you wanna go warm down? And at that moment, it was exactly what I needed. Uh, was that really important to do, just to, whether it was that one podcast, but it seemed like that publicly was the most expressive that you were about that experience? Yeah, I guess, well, the, there are a couple of things that led up to that. Um, I'm a pretty open, honest person. Uh, so kind of what you see is what you get. Um yeah. And I will say that Howie, God bless him, got me at a good and a bad time. <laughs> I'm one of those people that requires a lot of sleep to be high functioning. And I think it was a week after I had moved to Sydney. So my life was in disarray. And he's like, oh, Kate, can we like jump in quickly for a podcast? Bronte's free. Can we do it? And I was like, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Um, they say that like, alcohol lowers your inhibitions and like makes you really honest well lack of sleep does that for me right. like it's just I just <laughs> all out on the table if you really want me to tell you how it is just get me off a night of no sleep and I'll just <laughs> lay it there um but I think that it is really important to be honest and share those moments because so many people go through disappointment mm. and I'm not talking like just in sport, I'm talking in life, whether it's disappointment, whether it's failure, whether it's shame. And it's something that no one talks about because no one likes talking about it because it makes you feel uncomfortable and, uh, you know, people think that it makes you feel uncomfortable so then they don't talk to you about it and then you think that they're judging you about it. So I think that it's important to keep having these conversations, to keep, you know, talking through these things and to make it okay for people to fail. Well, well on, the, on that exact point, you, you said in that um, interview with Howie, when you do well, and this is 
you were describing getting out of the pool and that lonely walk when you, you hadn't achieved that desired result that you and all of Australia were, were hoping for. When you do well, people know what to do. When you don't do well, people don't know what to do. And it's a really, it's a really strong quote. It's, it's right. I think people can reflect on that, can't they, in any facet of their life? And it's true. Like I'm, I've definitely been guilty of it as well. Like you see someone and you know that they're feeling bad and you're feeling bad for them. But I still think that it's important to recognize them and connect with them as an individual first and as a performer, an athlete, a a colleague second, do you know? Yeah. And it's hard being that person who who's in, who's in that place because your immediate defenses wants to push everyone away. But in the long haul, uh, your brain replays that and thinks, well, look, everyone was standing over there. They don't like me. Whereas when people come over and congratulate you, while it might be hard for you at the time, I actually think it's better for you in the long run. And it also is better for the people around you because if you haven't, like, it's a big deal. Mm. It's a really big deal. And if you haven't acknowledged that off the bat, then I'm not going to go and want to sit with you again if I've like ignored this really big thing that happened that went really badly for you. And so the next day I might be like, oh my gosh, I can't go and sit with Kate at breakfast because she's had this really bad swim and I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything to her last night and now it's the next day and I'm still feeling bad. So I'm going to go sit over here. And then you're like, well, I can't have dinner with her either because now I've ignored her for that long. So it kind of snowballs and it perpetuates. Whereas if we all just, and something that we've been really working on on in the Australian swim team as part of our team culture is uh, a saying that's called like respect the effort. And that is like respecting the fact that someone has gone out and attempted to do something really brave. Mm. And when you stand behind the blocks, I don't think, you know what? I want to have a really bad race. I put lots of hard work into this. I just don't feel like swimming really fast. Everyone goes out there and wants to do their best. And so you have to respect that that's the mindset that people go into when they're behind the blocks. So no matter the result, we want to be able to welcome them back in the team because we respect the fact that they've gone out and tried to do something. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good point that people can um, can pay a bit more attention to. And 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 I guess that the final point about that that interview and your your response and openness, I, it was a real conflict of emotions for me. I love that you were able and comfortable to be able to be so open and honest, but I was also saddened that sport and and why we get into sport had created that situation do you have you reflected on that not just about your situation but the the enormity of how big and how much of an industry it has become from your and mine and every other sports boy and girls humble beginnings how it can get there but isn't that the beauty of sport because the other side is that you it's euphoric and it's exciting and it's thrilling and it's inspiring and yes it is heartbreaking and devastating and all of those things but without the lows I don't think you can reach those highs and I think that I can't expect to feel thrilled and excited and motivated and alive when I stand behind the blocks if I'm not willing to accept that 
if I don't perform well, I am going to feel disappointed and heartbroken. Um, and I think that, yeah, you can't have one without the other, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, I have, like, clear memories of watching sporting events uh, from, from when I was a childhood, uh, from, from my childhood, and I, I look at those athletes and I see the emotions that I'm feeling for them reflected in them. Yeah. And I think that that's ultimately why people watch sport. Uh, yes, you, you watch sport uh, to watch people win, but I would say I watch sport to watch people try and win uh, and the emotional journey that you get taken on because it's kind of this universal language. Yeah, it's a beautiful answer. I, I, I like that. That's exactly right. It is the the good and the bad, isn't it? That's what keeps us all interested and and uh, and playing and and motivated. You must have you've been asked about 2016 by a million people prior to me talking to you today about it, and probably replayed it in your mind. Do you allow your mind to cast forward at all to Tokyo and the hundred meters final and where your mind might be? when you're standing on those blocks in the final? Uh, I think that I am really focusing on what needs to happen now to have the desired result. And for me, um, yes, I would love to win an individual Olympic gold medal. Uh, but in a way that's a little bit outside of my control in that, I can't control what other competitors are going to do. But what is in my control is putting together and executing the best race that I possibly can in a high pressure environment like an Olympic final. So what do I need to do now to execute that perfect race? So when I cast my mind ahead to Tokyo, I don't see a medal dais. I don't hear a national anthem. I, I don't see a... Uh, a ceremony I step into the feeling of what it is like to swim those near perfect races and I know that if I can do that I'm going to be in a really good position to probably fulfill all of those external things but those things I can't control and what I can control is my own performance so when I'm when I'm casting ahead to Tokyo I'm thinking what can I do to get the best performance out of myself yeah, sure. And and so how are preps then in, in pursuit of the perfect race, hopefully on the biggest <laughs> stage, but wherever it turns up, that'll be a, a, a fulfilling feeling. There's no doubt about that. How, how's preps going? You're, you're about to compete in Sydney. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's going really well. We have our Olympic selection trials in June. So that's when I will... Uh, hopefully officially be selected for my fourth Olympics, but we, you know. Yeah, we, here we, we are just can, uh, <laughs> talking as if you're already there, aren't we? <laughs> touch wood. Of course yep, you will. Yep. Um, so uh, going really well, tracking really well. Uh, we have a competition in Sydney this weekend, which is our last competition before those Olympic trials. I'm then heading into a 10-day training camp in Threadbow. Uh, no, there's no snow. Yes, there is an indoor <laughs> heated swimming pool. And... Then from there, it's tape time. So uh, I'm really looking forward to easing off on the training a little bit uh, and, yeah, getting ready to, to race at trials. And then from there, um, we head over to Tokyo uh, 
or probably on like the 18th or so of yeah. July. Yeah, sure. But uh, I read some comments that you, you feel like you're as well prepared as any of the Olympics that you've been to and, and, and made a few little tweaks and changes to that approach. You mentioned uh, leading to, towards what would have been 2020, you were just going to try and peak then and not worry about everything in between. But what are those little uh, refinements been to your, your lifestyle and your training? Yeah, I, I guess that, well, everyone's had to make um, refinements. And for, for me, probably it's, it's been challenging not having access to regular competition in the past sort of 12 months. I would normally at the end of each year go and get some international competition uh, overseas. But in saying that, it has allowed me to stay and consolidate on training, um, rehab, any injuries. Uh, it's also given me a chance to diversify my interests a little bit. Oh, I was yeah. one of those people who <laughs> picked up a bazillion COVID hobbies yeah, during right. lockdown. Where, where are um, we talking? What areas? So I, <laughs> what areas are we? Uh, have you moved into? Um, probably the favourite one that I, I picked up was uh, furniture restoration. So uh, during COVID, like everyone was getting cleaning out and getting rid of all their old furniture so I'd go out and like pick them up and sand them back and repaint them. And uh, yeah, I have a newfound love of Bunnings. Uh, and thank goodness it was open. It was yes. an essential service. Yes, very, very essential. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've just, I've, I've found new avenues and new interests and found new ways to keep me motivated. Whereas I would normally derive that motivation from traveling and competing mm. in the pool. I've just kind of shifted that into something that's, uh, you know, more accessible at home. Yeah, and what about tracking your rivals? Do you keep an eye on them? And has, has it been more challenging to know what the world is up to by way of results and progress? You've got a few good rivals yeah. uh, pretty close to home too, haven't you, <laughs> in your event? Yeah, well, I have some pretty good rivals pretty close to home. One of them, my sister Bronte, yes. trains next to me every day. Yeah. Um, and then Emma McKeon, who is also swimming incredibly well at the yeah. moment. Uh, she trains just down at the Gold Coast. So I, I have some pretty good competition to, to race uh, just on home soil. To be honest, I'm not one of those people who like rigorously tracks what my rivals are doing. I find that I don't need to know what they're doing because ultimately it doesn't matter to me because yeah. I know that I am preparing myself to the best of my ability and never believe what you see online. It's <laughs> not usually true. And I know that like particularly the Americans are going to be throwing shade and, you know, posting things. And I'm like, mm, is that true? So um, yeah, I've, I kind of steer clear of them and uh, just, just focus on, on the competition that I get on a regular basis from yeah. the girls at home. Uh, a few smokies been thrown out there. You think that's uh, interesting. <laughs> we'll watch that with interesting, with interest. Um, you mentioned before, uh, about the opportunity that, you know, the risk of going uh, to the Olympics in a COVID world and there's risk with everything, but but it has limited the opportunities for many athletes to really nail down the big event, which is once every four or, or this time five years. What about all the interest around it, the commercial opportunity, the media focus, just the general glare? Is that is that a fun part of the journey or is that a hindrance? Where do you get the balance of that? Um. For me, I a, a little bit is good, too much is bad. Um, and if I could do no press in the lead into an Olympics, wouldn't bother me at all. Um, well, apologies, apologies, <laughs> sorry. In, in saying that, <laughs> yeah, geez, so you should be grateful that I agreed to do we'll, this. We'll wind it up there, shall um, we? <laughs> 
but no, it's I I uh, I see it as as part of it. You know, I am very very lucky in that I am a professional athlete. Like I don't have a job, I don't have a nine to five desk job that I have to do uh, to supplement my training and my lifestyle to be able to to live. So I, it, it comes part and parcel with it, and some of it is fun. You know, I sometimes walk into to rooms and I just think, wow. Nine-year-old Kate, who dreamt of being an Olympic swimmer, didn't think that she would be sitting here talking to one of the greatest cricketers of all time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, I, I have pinch me moments. I have moments where I don't want to be stuck in another swimsuit and have to, you know, pretend to swim fast at a wall for a TV camera <laughs> ever again and everything in between. Yeah, I like your answer to that. That's just what sport's about, isn't it? Just <laughs> up and down. I and know. I feel like I have to remind myself of that after a bad swim. Yeah. I'm like, Kate, this is what it's about. Just relax. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's the hindsight and reflection is so important, isn't it? Because, you know. Like, the further you get away from this, from your sport, does it, like, get easier? As in, like, I found the further that I get away or, like, the more interests I have outside of it, like, not that the less it matters, but, and it still hurts a lot at the time, but you get over it quicker. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm just reflecting on, so trying to think of my career, a point mm. where was there a moment that hurt so much mm. and was so bad and you just don't know at the time what you're learning, but the more you reflect on it, the more you learn and the more you get out of it. And I mean, it up. Uh, a highlight I, I came to the decision last night when thinking about that when i was just thinking about chatting today and I, one of the highlights of my career was when i dropped a catch that made me realize it's time to retire and at the time wow. it felt horrible and i was embarrassed i'd let brett lee down i dropped another catch and you know, matthew hayden i turned around to him and i just literally turned around and said i'm done i, wow. I, I realized that i'm just not there anymore um mm. and it was a really nice sort of feeling but um, coupled with a horrible feeling, but the more I reflect on it, it was a better and better feeling, and it made it's sort of a warmth that I made the right decision. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I think the more you're trying to keep reflecting, you pick up little bits of it that you weren't aware of at the time, but are mm. so valuable as you progress forward in life. And do you find because I found like the disappointments have dulled? Do you find the highs have dulled as well? Or are they still like just as as fresh and as good as you remember them? Um, or does yeah. it just seem like a long time ago and you don't? Yeah, think yeah. About it? it's starting at that stage. So yeah, it's getting a little bit like it seemed like a, a while ago. But um, but yeah, the specific exactly how you felt in one moment, but is is sort of becoming a little bit more suppressed or lost. But yep. the, the overriding, and, and you touched on it, the team element, and that's, um, you know, I didn't ask you about that, the, the sort of team element within a, a very much an individual sport to an mm. extent, but we were, it was always, and, and cricket's probably the most individual team sport around in that, you know, you are in a team always, but your act is such an individual thing and you can get yeah. old first ball and still be in a winning team. But um it's the team element that stays freshest, the celebrating as a team, um, mm. the, the achievements as a team, the goal setting and, and going out there and implementing a, 
a plan with a team, if that makes sense. That's probably more vivid memory as opposed to how it felt standing in the middle of a ground, sort of raising your bat um, or taking a good catch or something like that. Yeah. 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 No, it's interesting. Get the old DVDs out, and then I just watch those, and you can recall it really easily. But get the kids. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when when someone jogs your memory, or like, oh, I'm sure it's like when we get a group of swimmers together, and literally yeah. that's all we talk about. I'm sure cricket is even worse because there's <laughs> yeah. so many tactics involved. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we all get better and better. Uh, yeah, that's a good thing. Kate, thanks so much for giving up a bit of that valuable time in the lead. In I think your perspective that you allow us. To, to sit back and reflect on in our own lives is, is just such a wonderful part of who you are and your character. So you, you seem to go into everything eyes wide open, looking for opportunities uh, for just self-improvement. So all the best uh, in Sydney, in the uh, trials, and then when you get over to Tokyo, we cannot wait to be on the journey with you. Thank you so much for having me. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.